we, uh, we turn now to God's Word. As I, as I said earlier, this is Palm Sunday. It is the, uh, it is the beginning of our, of our Passion Week celebration, and it will carry us through Monday Thursday service on Thursday night. It'll carry us through Good Friday service on Friday and up until the glorious resurrection celebration on Sunday morning. And, and throughout this week, we are looking to Matthew as our, as our guide um, we'll look to Matthew's account beginning this morning in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As we prepare to go there, let's ask for the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word. It is breathed out by you, and it is for, for our good to, to reveal our our need for Jesus and to point us to Him. We have minds that wonder. We struggle to find meaning looking through the lens of self, and so we ask that you would give us the, the powerful presence of your Spirit, our teacher, our counselor, our helper, our guide. Anoint our ears that we might hear and see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and, and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Some years ago, uh, Anna and I uh, were in New York City on a vacation with her parents, and without realizing it, we're there on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> we also didn't realize just what a big celebration St. Patrick's Day is in New York City. <laughs> so we did what people do in New York City. We walked the, the streets and gawked at the buildings and the concrete canyons until we turned one particular corner and, and found ourselves in the midst of this huge parade. There were crowds and, and excitement and, and the whole thing just sort of pulled you along like a tidal wave. Look, we, we didn't know 
then, and quite frankly, I don't know now what is behind the holiday celebration that is St. Patrick's Day. I didn't know that certain cities make a big deal of it, but they certainly did in New York, and they certainly did that way. We were there not knowing what was going on, and all of a sudden we were caught up in the pageantry of it all, celebrating a holiday without any real reason why we were celebrating. You ever find yourself in that kind of situation? Caught up in, in the emotion of it all and, and celebrating something that you're not quite sure why? But the crowd is excited, and so you get carried along. Begs the question, are we more concerned about the substance or the show? This is an exciting week. This is the highlight of the Christian year. It, it begins with this celebration that is Palm Sunday and, and will continue throughout the week. And, and there is an emotionality to it all, and that, that emotion can, can carry us along. Just like that tidal wave. But what happens when the week and the emotion of the week passes? You see, that's the thing about waves. They carry everything along with it until the wave crashes. And everything that's along for the ride gets pummeled. <laughs> when the emotion passes of this week, what will be left? Will we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I imagine that that day in Jerusalem, there were a number of people in the crowd who felt a lot like me that day in New York City on St. Patty's Day. <laughs> it was exciting. Something's going on, but I'm not really sure what. The truth is, that day, no one in the crowd knew what would happen over the course of that week except one Jesus he saw it all he knew what was coming in the days ahead and yet he came you and I we've got a sense of what is going to happen over the course of this week as well we we know the events of the week but in that knowledge, how then do we interpret the events of this day? How do we interpret the events of Palm Sunday? This, this text is, if you have been around the church at all, this text is familiar. Sometimes we lose the meaning and the familiarity. This text is rich with meaning. And the richness of that meaning is meant to do more than stir emotion. It is meant to stir love. Love for Jesus. I want to unpack it for us today. We see that this king riding into his capital city is first and foremost a humble king. There are two Old Testament passages that, that sort of lay behind this text. Those two Old Testament passages are actually acted out before our very eyes and Jesus is riding in. To Jerusalem that day. The first of those Old Testament passages is Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah 9 marks a, a transition and, 
in, in, in Zechariah's prophetic ministry. You see, Zechariah was a prophet sent by God to speak the word of God to returning exiles. A bit of Old Testament history helps us understand that. Those exiles had, had been God's people in, in Jerusalem, and, and the Lord had sent prophet after prophet, calling them to return to their first love, to return to the Lord. But time and time again, instead of returning to the Lord, they returned to their idolatry. And so ultimately, in the fullness of time, God sent a foreign pagan nation, the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, to destroy Jerusalem, to ransack the nation, and ultimately to carry a people away from their homeland and to put them in exile in a foreign land, in, in Babylon. But God, in His grace and mercy, brought them back. He returned them to Jerusalem, and He returned them on a mission. He called them, and He sent Zechariah as a part of that calling, telling him to rebuild the city, the temple, and the people, the covenant community. That was Zechariah's prophetic mission. And so in the earlier chapters of Zechariah, he is encouraging and admonishing them along that mission. But it was a mission that was opposed on all sides by foreign peoples. So in Zechariah 9, there's a, there's, there's a change in that, that prophetic ministry, and it takes on an apocalyptic tone, an apocalyptic tone that, that looked forward to a day of peace. Peace that would be ushered in by a messianic king. Verse 5 in Matthew 21 is a, is a near citation of Zechariah 9. Verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah there is pointing to a day when a king would come and usher peace. Peace from the surrounding attacking people. Now, there's a surprising twist in that though. If you think in your mind of the king that is going to usher in that kind of peace, what picture do you have in your mind of that king? I have this image in my mind, it's just indelibly printed there of the first desert storm back in 91 and the U.S. Army just making its way across the desert. It was an imposing show of force as they went to liberate Kuwait. And for the Kuwaitis, there was a peace that was there and... It was a peace that was earned through strength. I kind of imagine that. <laughs> That's not the picture we got in Zechariah 9.9, is it? No. We saw here a king coming not on a war horse, but on a colt. A colt of a donkey. It's a humble king. The problem is when we think about the humble king, we, we tend to confuse humble with weak. Yet, 
this text. And nothing about this king is weak. His humility is meant to drive home a point. Jesus didn't feel the need to be showy. Jesus was not there to be anyone or anything he was not. Who he is is just fine. So from these early verses of of Matthew 21, as they play out Zechariah 9.9, I want to make four quick points. The first is this. Jesus comes on a colt. He is making a clear declaration of his identity and of his purpose. Jesus comes riding in that day into Jerusalem on a colt, and he did so to make a statement that he was the righteous king. He is the Messiah the long-prophesied one who has come to usher in peace. This, this parade, it's more than show. It's, it's a declaration. Second, every detail in this scene serves as a display of his sovereignty. Jesus is taking charge here. He sovereignly knows and sovereignly controls every detail of the action that is taking place on that day. He authoritatively issues instructions to his disciples and to the owner of the cult, at least the human earthly owner of that cult. And with every detail that is played out before their eyes and our eyes, Jesus is saying, I am the sovereign king and I will leave nothing to chance. A declaration of identity and purpose, a display of sovereignty, and thirdly, a picture of a king who is steadfast and resolute. Bethphage here is mentioned for more than just a you know, a passing curiosity. Bethphage was a small little village that, that sat about a mile east of Jerusalem up on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And, and it looked down across the Kidron Valley before it and the Garden of Gethsemane. It overlooked the Temple Mount. You understand that as Jesus is mounting that cult, he looks out. He looks out over the events of the week. Jesus mounts his colt. He surveys the scene. He is looking out over the battlefield. It's the geography of the Passion Week. It is the place and the events that he sees as he gets ready to ride in to the city. And if you imagine that as he so he knows what comes before him, and he gets on that colt. There is, must be a look of steadfastness and, and resolution on him as, as he sets his focus on the city and the task and the people before him. Do not confuse humility with weakness. This is our king. And fourthly, it's his purpose. He's come to usher in peace. Shalom. Shalom is, shalom is not peace and quiet. <laughs> shalom is lasting peace. Here in Matthew 21, he, 
He cites Zechariah 9.9. There's more to the prophecy than that one verse. Zechariah continues speaking the word of God, verses 10 through 12. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Again, strength and humility. Everything about this scene is meant to emphasize substance not show and yet there is a pageantry to it all there's a pageantry that continues in Matthew 21 and in that pageantry we are reminded that this humble king is a savior king when you think about Palm Sunday what do you think about palm branches and Hosanna (laughs) it evokes memories of my childhood, as I remember uh, marching in the, 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 the church as a little child, carrying palm branches, shouting Hosanna. It was a parade. It was a parade that we, we had every year. And it was sweet, and I remember it fondly, and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I dare say most of the people in the church didn't either. What was the purpose behind all of the pageantry, not of my parade into the church, but of Jesus coming in to his capital city. Remember there were two Old Testament passages behind this text. The first one was Zechariah 9. The second one is Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is part of the, the Egyptian Hillel, series of psalms from Psalm 113 to 118. Hallel is a word that sounds a little odd to us, but it means praise. And so you might be familiar with hallelujah, praise Yahweh. Egyptian, referring to God's redemption of his people from bondage in Egypt. It's the Egyptian Hallel. And so this week is the Independence Week for the Jewish nation. It's a reminder of the Lord passing over them and, and issuing his wrath on the Egyptians. And, and through that, he, he saved his people from their oppressors. And so they've gathered here in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And it was their custom to, to sing the Psalms 113 through 114 before the Passover meal and then 15 through 18 afterwards. Psalm 18 is the final Hillel. It celebrated the Lord's victory. In the Exodus, in the Passover, so the people remembered that night and they anticipated future victories. There's a movement in Psalm 118 as the, as the, the, the celebration would, would move up into the city. Remember Jesus' movement up into the city into 
the temple and ultimately culminating at the altar of sacrifice. And so knowingly or unknowingly, the people that day were acting out this drama of Psalm 118. Did so as they cried out, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Read for you an excerpt from Psalm 118. Read verses 19 through the end of uh, the psalm in verse 29. And I want you to listen to this movement in the psalm. And, And as you listen, I want you to see the triumphal entry. Psalmist writes, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. The gates picture the entrance into the city, but there is a deeper meaning of the gates of righteousness. So open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is the lord's doing it is marvelous in our eyes this is the day that the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it save us we pray remember hosanna is save us psalm 118 save us we pray O lord O lord we pray give us success blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord he blesses from the house of the lord the lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you hear it? Do you hear in Psalm 118 this this march that is taking place on Palm Sunday? Do you hear it in their cry, save us? But what was their cry? What was behind their Hosanna that, that day on the triumphal entry? How were they using Hosanna? It was a cry of praise. A cry of praise. But save us, originally, was meant to be a plea, a cry for help. Now, appropriately, Hosanna is both. It is praise and plea, but this is what we need to hear, and they needed that day. If the plea loses its meaning... The plea loses its urgency, well, then the praise falls flat. Praise does not survive the emotion of the moment. So as they used Hosanna as a praise, what type of salvation were they looking for that day? Probably. As we see in the events of that day and the rest of Scripture, probably they were looking for a salvation from external oppressors the palm branches that they were throwing out the, they cut off the trees and threw out before Jesus those palm branches were they were a, a sign of of national pride there was a sense of Jewish nationalism that was taking place that day in other words as they shouted out hosanna it was a praise let us have our nation back 
It was the Messiah, the salvation that they were desiring. And, and make no mistake about it, certainly in Zechariah 9 and in Psalm 118, there was that in view. But as the prophets looked forward, there was a, a prophetic look that, that looked to Jesus' first coming and his second. Make no mistake, when he comes back on his war horse, there will be a salvation from those external oppressors. But what was the first coming? Was it only a nationalism? How do we use Hosanna? Do we use Hosanna as a praise or a plea? And what is the salvation that we are ultimately desiring? We're tempted to look on Jesus in the same way that they were that day in the crowd, using our own version of, of Christian nationalism. So what does that look like in practice? Well, Jeff talked about it in the confession of sin. It looks a lot like, Lord, save us from them. Whoever them is. But what about save me from me? This begs another question. We're looking to Jesus to save us from our situation or from our sin. Maybe that situation is a, is a physical circumstance, a, a disease, a diagnosis. Maybe it is a relational strife. Maybe it is a nation that has lost its moral bearings. Listen, all of those are worthy of our prayers. Do not hear me saying that physical distress, relational strife, and a nation that has lost its moral bearings are not worthy of our prayers. They most certainly are. And they are most certainly part of God's redemptive plan when He comes in return. But as humble Savior, Jesus made His way into Jerusalem that day to go into the temple and ultimately over the course of the week to become the final festal sacrifice on the altar so that He might save His people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one, the angel said, name Him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. That was the occasion on his first coming. And so for us, on this Psalm, Palm Sunday, are we willing to trust the wisdom of the king to save us according to his will, not our own? The way we think about that question will determine are we shouting Hosanna as a praise or as a plea? Which is it? Praise or a plea? The beauty of this week is that this week reminds us more than any other that Hosanna is both. Hosanna is both and it must be both. If on this Palm Sunday it is only praise, if we offer an empty parade with palm tree, palm branches shouting a word that we do not understand, if Hosanna is merely a praise, then we will cheer him on as he passes and then we'll go on about our business. But if Hosanna is both, 
If Hosanna is praise and plea, then we will most certainly cheer. But we will also follow all the way to the cross. Because the road to resurrection, it runs through the cross. That was the road that Jesus took. And it is the road that he has for us as well. We talked about how they used Hosanna, how they used Psalm 118. We've wrestled with how we use it, but how about Jesus? How did Jesus embrace Psalm 118? How did Jesus embody Psalm 118? They sang it as he came into the city on Palm Sunday. But later... In Matthew 26, 30, Jesus sang it as he walked out to his betrayal. On that night, on that Thursday night, after taking the Passover meal and and showing his disciples and us its fuller meaning, instituting the Lord's Supper, they they, they left out of, of that upper room and they walked down to the Garden of Gethsemane and Matthew 26, 30 says they sang a hymn. It would have been Psalm 118, the final Hallel. And as Jesus sang these words, he set his face resolutely to the cross, knowing that he would become our festal sacrifice. He would become the one who is bound up and placed on the altar of atonement. He was the one who would become our sacrifice, a sacrifice that he willingly took on, a sacrifice that he graciously gives, a sacrifice that we receive by faith alone, in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, the gospel leads us to Easter morning, but it runs through the cross. And Jesus is embodying Psalm 118 as he becomes the sacrifice for us. Do you see the picture? Do you see the fulfillment? Jesus is our humble, resolute, steadfast, sovereign Savior. See Him in His humility and His glory. See Him as Savior. That day in New York... Anna and I got caught up in an emotion that we didn't understand, but it was fun. We enjoyed the party. And afterwards, we went about our business. Which will it be for you this week? Substance or show? What will be the cry of your heart as you cry out, Hosanna? Christ Church, as we enter in to this week, let our cry of Hosanna serve as both a praise and a plea. Let us praise Jesus for his gracious work of salvation and let us plea for him to bring to completion the work that he has begun in us. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are our King. You are our Messiah. 
You have come to save us from our sins. Pray that you would do that work in us. Even when we look to you for other lesser things, <laughs> conquer our cheap desires. Elevate them. Draw us closer to you, that we might receive from you the new life that is offered to us in the gospel. In your name we pray.